Welcome to this Tuesday edition of the My Ag Life Daily News Report. I'm your host, Lori Boyer. We'll bring you feature agricultural news reports along with a check-in of national and regional agricultural news. And I'll start things off with regional agricultural news right after this. Sponsored by the California Walnut Boarding Commission. Supporting the industry with on-farm innovation through production research, advocacy for government programs, and driving consumer demand. Doing more together. Losses to California's ag industry have continued to mount as the state's drought stretched into a third straight year, according to a report released by researchers from the School of Engineering and the Public Policy Institute of California. The report estimates direct economic impacts on farm activity of $1.2 billion this year, up from $810 million in 2021, representing a 4.9% and 3.4% impact on crop value added, respectively. Value added is the contribution from a sector to the region's gross domestic product. It includes profits, compensation, and taxes. Beyond direct farm effects, impacts on food processing industries that rely on farm products were roughly $845 million in 2022, up from $590 million in 2021. Altogether, these consequences total $2 billion in value-added losses this year alone and a loss of 19,420 jobs, according to researchers. But it could have been a lot worse, according to the report. Findings from the study indicate drought impact mitigation actions such as land idling and increased groundwater pumping were the most common, most extensive following in the Sacramento Valley, along with water trading decreased the economic losses of a drought of this magnitude. The 2020 to 2022 water years constitute the driest three-year period in California's instrumental historical record. In addition to drought impacts, California's ag economy also suffered from disruptions in the supply chain, including delays in shipping crops out of California. The report's author said those delays may result in increased inventory and could influence some of California's specialty crop prices. Each drought provides the opportunity to learn something to apply to the next drought, according to researchers. Representatives from the California Department of Food and Agriculture Divisions and programs were on hand at the Latino Farmer Conference held in Escanito, November 17th and 18th. The event was held at the California Center for the Arts with an emphasis on sustainable agriculture, equity, and resources for underserved farmers and ranchers. The Latino Farmer Conference is an annual event for Spanish-speaking farmers and ranchers. The conference brought together approximately 200 participants from the farming community, industry, and advocates for sustainability, and agribusinesses workshops in Spanish. The event included farm tours of local and sustainable farms, the National Center for Appropriate Technology, and the USA Natural Resources Conservation Service hosts this annual event. At the beginning of November, retailers were actively filling their stores with tomatoes. However, demand is slowing down. This is a trend that Jab Dane, Director of Procurement for Winset Farms, expects to continue for the next two or three weeks. The weather conditions in Florida and Baja, California, have had a negative effect on the amount of Roma, beefsteak, grape, and cherry tomatoes that are available. Tomatoes on the vine and mixed cherry tomatoes, on the other hand, are abundant in the market, according to Dane. While Roma, beefsteak, grape, and cherry tomatoes are in short 
support position. The prices will remain elevated. Greenhouses in British Columbia are reaching the end of the season, but California and Mexico produce year-round. Those markets will come down generally when the west coast of Mexico starts to ramp up production coming into December. Dane anticipates that tomato demand will increase a little by Christmas before strengthening in January. Consumers tend to look for healthier options in January, but serving this demand could be a challenge as tomato production is at its lowest in the winter months, according to Dane. West Park Avocado, a grower, packer, and distributor of premium avocados, is pleased to announce the addition of Jennifer Sendejas to the sales team. As Director of Sales and Business Development, Sendejas' responsibilities include partnering with new retailers, building relationships, and helping them develop their avocado category. She will work at a national level to secure new business for Westpac and help grow the company's market share. She brings over 15 years of industry experience to the company. Starting at the ground level with retailers, she worked her way up and into category management and eventually sales and business development. Sendenjas later took a position with a produce distributor and has been in sales and sales management on the broker side of the industry for the past eight years. Ocean Miss Farms Brussels sprouts are currently headed into the peak fall crop just in time to meet shopper demand during a busy holiday season. Known for the gold standard artichokes, Ocean Miss Farms also provides high quality, exceptional Brussels sprouts, which are being harvested out of Castroville through January and will be coming out of Coachella and Mexico beginning late December. Ocean Miss Farms' Brussels sprouts volume has increased steadily over the last couple of years to meet demand. The company's release of the season and steam pack created for further interest with this convenient cook and pack. This past year, the company has added a wider range of value-added products, including the 16-ounce and 32-ounce family-sized form and fill packs, as well as halved and shredded Brussels sprout packs. Demand has risen sharply. During the holidays, Ocean Miss Farms also offers Brussels sprout stocks, a way to purchase, display, and even cook Brussels sprouts. Stocks are limited to only the holiday season. Climate and weather variability pose increasing risk to farmers. As the world leaders gathered in Egypt at COP27 to address the climate crisis, the University of California Cooperative Extension and the USDA California Climate Hub launched a new web tool to provide farmers with locally relevant and crop-specific information to make production decisions that reduce risk. Integrating historical weather data and forecast information with meaningful agricultural decision support information holds the potential to reduce a crop's vulnerability to such risks. According to Tappan Pathak, UC Cooperative Extension Climate Adaptation Specialist at UC Merced, to provide easy access to high-resolution data in a form of agroclimate tools and information to enhance agricultural resilience to climate and other weather-related risks they are launching, Cal Agroclimate. Pathak is collaborating on building a decision support tool with partners from the U.S. Department of Agriculture, California Climate Hub, UC Cooperative Extension, and UC Agriculture and Natural Resources Informatics and Geographic Information Systems. Cal Agroclimate has been designed to support climate-enabled decision-making for those working in the California specialty crop industry. Growers and crop consultants can use Cal Agroclimate's crop and location-specific tools and resources to help make on-farm decisions, such as preparing for frost or ultimately rain and taking advantage of expected favorable conditions. Cal Agroclimate currently includes heat advisory, frost advisory, crop enology, and pest advisory tools. Do you know the nutrient use efficiency people? 
Yes, I'm talking about the folks at Verdesian Life Sciences that deliver crop insights and solutions so California crops grow to their full potential. From micros with a proprietary delivery system to solutions that help improve the uptake and assimilation of applied nutrients. Visit VLSCI.com to learn more about Verdesian Solutions or to connect with a local representative right here in California. California's citrus industry is constantly evolving and making new advancements to counter some of growers' and processors' biggest issues. While these advancements help the industry directly, not making them more widely known to the public and governing bodies doesn't help anyone and can actually hinder progress in the long run. If those outside of the citrus industry don't know all of the good the industry is doing and what it needs, how can it truly accomplish its goals, increase market value, and put more citrus out? California Citrus Mutual's Casey Creamer addressed this question at Citrus Research Board's recent annual California Citrus Conference. We've dedicated our staff uh, to try and fix uh, within the industry, working across those silos, using expertise in, in multiple areas. Because obviously, like Justin said, we don't know it all. We don't have all of the, the answers to every question. But you get people in a room with different expertise, you can usually figure out the best path forward. And I think we've done a, a really good job of that in the last year, working very collaboratively with the Citrus Research Board. And I want to report on some of those some of those things. So you see there's actual progress happening. Even though this is political season, there's all kinds of politics and somebody's really, really bad and somebody's really, really good. And there's a lot of fear and anxiety around elections. Um, there's a lot of that stuff going on, but there's also things that take away the noise and focus on some real key items and work in a bipartisan nature, you can actually get a whole lot of things done if you just keep your head down and start working. So we've been doing that as a team, we've been doing that in collaboration with the Citrus Research Board, and we're really proud of it. The farm bill and money from it that is being allotted to the country's citrus industry is a hot-button item currently. Creamer highlighted California's involvement in funded research as well as Wang Long Bing research and other issues. We get the citrus industry nationwide gets $25 million a year. It's over a five-year life of the farm bill. I think we're in year four now of, of that. And um, there's a, a, a citrus disease subcommittee that, that meets. We advocate for the money, working with our collaboratively with our partners in Texas and Florida. But we're not the scientists. We don't know what's needed. Citrus Research Board does. They've got a group of people dedicated to sit on that group, and there's a whole lot more collaboration happening within that committee now. Uh, more research, not necessarily this year, but we're really uh, working together a whole lot better than we, we have been. Um, more research will start to come for California's priorities moving forward. You can count on that. And if it doesn't, we will be working together to identify changes in that the farm, the next farm bill, so that it works for California, so we can not only find a cure for Florida, which we need, but we also find solutions that work uh, here in California as well. We've also got the HLB MAC, uh, a long, long being multi-agency coordination. There's eight, $8.5 million a year annually that comes to the entire citrus industry. Florida developed what's called a craft program. Originally, I think it was three years ago, there was a lack of quality projects that met the needs of citrus growers. 
And so we're, we're trying to figure out how not to spend the money or to divert it to somewhere else. Florida led the way in developing a craft program, which in my mind, whether you like the program or not, is Florida getting together and saying, this is our priorities, and this is how we want to spend the money to help uh, Florida growers. We've uh, followed their lead, Texas followed the lead, and now working with Marcy and the team. Obviously, we're not the research people, but we have the California crowd program, and we're working to divert dollars to come directly to Citrus Research Board and thinking out to growers to identify solutions to address HLD and ECP. So positive working relationship on that program as well. The next thing is another thing that happened this year. You probably didn't hear a whole lot of press about it, but there's an issue with enforcement of the grapefruit maturity standards. You probably have a whole lot of grapefruit growers here, but there are grapefruit growers in, in California. Texas uh, was getting hit really hard with Mexican imports coming in. Basically, in the discussions with USMCA, USDA decided that there was uh, enforcement issues with the grapefruit juice maturity standard and said it's not universally being enforced across the entire United States. And so if they're not applying the same rules to domestic growers, they can't apply it to foreign growers who are bringing fruit in. Didn't notify the industry at all. Just stopped doing the enforcement, seeing the flood of enforcement coming in. Found out about it by happenstance, worked with USDA to address it. Big political issue, you know, a whole lot of balance happening between, between Mexico and the United States with the implementation of, of, of that agreement. The odds were stacked against us, but the issue where the problem was that California does not have a juice maturity standard that's not enforced for grapefruit. We've never done the testing, never looked at it, don't even know what standard. In Florida, it's a, roughly a 49% weight by volume uh, a juice standard. We didn't even know if we could meet that. Is it 43? Is it 47? And so we put forth a process with the support of the Citrus Research Board, board of Directors to say, okay, we're going to bring on Mary Lou Arpea, we're going to do a study, we're going to work with growers and packing houses to say, okay, what is the juice maturity? standard in that process by working proactively with USDA and saying give us the time to work through this to understand our industry before we put a, a regulation or enforcement. They ended up uh, enforcing the standards this year so a whole lot less Mexican grapefruit is not coming to the United States directly impacting Texas, indirectly impacting California and that is, thank you, that is the, uh, the cooperation and commitment of working together the last big issue Creamer covered is the work CCM did recently in Washington, D.C. He used a football analogy to equate progress on the matter, noting that things have quickly gone from the 20-yard line in D.C. to now the 5-yard line in making USDA ARS's citrus program a true national citrus program that helps California. Citrus Research Board said we need to have a facility in Parlier that does breeding just like they do in Florida. Again, it's a national citrus program, but California is the largest citrus, citrus producing state in the country. We provide over 50% and over 90% of the fresh citrus uh, domestically, but yet we have our great facility with the UC system, but USDA ARS was not investing in varieties out in California and under our soil conditions for the needs of the growers here in the room. 
Marcy came, we need a facility, we need you guys to get it. Working with uh, Alyssa Halpy on her team, who runs our federal affairs, connecting the right congressional representatives. Congressman David Valadeo, who sits on appropriation, very, very helpful. Uh, the parlier station, I believe, is in his district right now. Congressman Jim Costa, who's uh, on the D side of things, his new district will cover the partner. Working together with both of them in a bipartisan fashion. Also, at the Senate level, uh, Senator Alice Padilla, really championing it on the Senate side, working with Senator Diane Feinstein's office to get the language in there on developing a citrus breeding facility in Parker. We're almost there. Come, uh, they punted up the, on the, uh, the next budget. It's, supposed to be, it needs to be finalized by December 14th. We are very optimistic and our board members were there talking with the staff on, on both sides. They all agree there's no controversy here. You've got a Democratic leader, you've got a Republican leader. It makes sense. We worked with USDA on it. There's a good plan for it. There's a lot of support. <coughs> they think it will be done. You're listening to My Ag Life. I'm Taylor Charlstrom. This segment was sponsored by Polymer Ag. Makers of Anti-Stress 550, the climate stress solution. Find out more at polymerag.com. Bee Hero is the leading almond pollination provider. We deliver measurable and verifiable pollination outcomes for almond growers and turn a previously unquantified fingers crossed gamble into a controllable expenditure. For the first time, Growers can know exactly what they are getting for their money during pollination. Bee Hero accurately evaluates your bee's pollination contribution in real time and gives you unprecedented visibility into the progress of bloom. Don't leave pollination to chance. Be sure. Be precise. Be Hero. Call Charlie Phillips, VP of Sales at 559-467-9699. Be Hero. Superior bees. Superior pollination. The USDA says it is extending the comment period on a proposed rule titled Inclusive Competition and Market Integrity under the Packers and Stockyards Act by 45 days. The National Cattlemen's Beef Association welcomed the extension while urging USDA to proceed in a deliberate manner. While they appreciate the additional time to submit through comments, overall, USDA should slow down on this rulemaking effort, according to NCBA Senior Director of Government Affairs Tanner Bamer. It's a significant undertaking rooted in decades of history and stockholders must get the chance to thoroughly evaluate the effects of this rule and those the department says are coming soon. NCBA and other industry partners requested an extension of the comment period last month in a letter to USDA. The proposed Packers and Stockyards Act rule spans 180 pages, poses 44 specific questions, and covers 14 years of regulatory history, so the initial 60-day period was too short. Once again, a country is closer to a rail strike that could paralyze the economy, including agriculture, ahead of the holidays. One of the largest of a dozen railroad unions voted no on a White House broker contract, as first reported by the Washington Post. A threatened December 9th strike over attendance and sick leave pay would shut down the nation's major freight and passenger rail service, crippling the economy right before the holidays. Iowa Senator Chuck Grassley argued recently for President Biden to step in. 
he would be forced to have either him take action or Congress take action because it would shut down the whole economy. That includes ag shipments of grain, produce, meat, and biofuels. Barring intervention under the 1926 Railway Labor Act or unanimous approval of a deal by the unions, an industry-wide walkout is likely. Grassley says that can't be allowed to happen. Congress has the power to impose the deal that was previously negotiated. I'm a co-sponsor of the bill. There is much at stake, so hopefully Congress doesn't have to act. But I'm going to be an advocate for acting if we have to. The railroad industry says a rail worker strike would cost the U.S. economy some $2 billion a day. The USA has mailed survey codes to all known U.S. ag producers with the invitation to respond online to the 2022 Census of Agriculture at agcounts.usda.gov. The ag census is the nation's only comprehensive and impartial agriculture data for every state, county, and territory. By completing a survey, producers across the nation can tell their stories and help generate impactful policies to better serve them and future ag producers. Farmers of all sizes, urban and rural, that produced and sold $1,000 more products or normally would have in 2022 are included in the census. The census will get mailed in phases with paper questionnaires following in December. Producers only have to respond once, either online or by mail. Responses are due by February 6th. The census of agriculture is a powerful voice for American agriculture. According to USDA Secretary of Agriculture Tom Vilsack, he says the information is an important influence on future ag policy. Food inflation pressures will likely continue in 2023. USA Ag News reporter Gary Crawford. Food shoppers in 2023 will see food prices that are rising at a slower pace than this year. But still are elevated by historical standards. USDA economist Matt McLaughlin forecasting the average of all food prices next year to rise. How much? Between 3 and 4 percent. Compared to about a 10 percent hike this year and for food inflation at grocery stores, percentage-wise, an increase of what? Between 2.5 and 3.5. Compared to about 12 percent this year. Yes, smaller increases, but increases nonetheless. Matt says prices for basic farm commodities are expected to continue to be very high, along with the cost of energy. And of course, energy plays a very large role at every step of the food supply chain. And it's a very important uh, determinant of what many of these prices look like. Matt and his colleagues also are going to be watching what happens to interest rates and how that will affect food price inflation. Gary Crawford for the U.S. Department of Agriculture. There's giant potential sleeping in your soil. Under drought conditions, it's never been more important to wake it up. Phycoterra, a superior soil microbial food, activates the native microbes responsible for your soil's health and water-holding capacity. Adding Phycoterra to your crop increases water retention up to 10% and optimizes crop nutrient availability. Plus, it delivers excellent mixability and application flexibility, making it easy to add to your existing crop input strategy. Visit Phycoterra.com to learn how you can wake up your soil's giant potential with Phycoterra. JCS Marketing is your number one way to connect with the ag industry. Through print magazines, digital media, podcasts, and live and virtual events, JCS Marketing has the reach to inform, educate, and influence growers in the Western United States. Everywhere you go, you see West Coast Not Magazine on every one of my customers' tables. So that tells you everything. It's there, so they're reading it. Our My Ag Life platform includes podcast interviews and digital articles for busy professionals on the go. 
Our live events, continuing education webinars, and virtual conferences help growers connect with leading researchers and industry leaders. Let JCS Marketing help you connect. That will wrap up today's show. You've been listening to the My Ag Life Daily News Report. I'm Lori Boyer. From all of us here at the JCS Marketing Team, thank you for listening. (laughs) 